Thank you for checking out this podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. Think about this. Think about a couple of these people from the Bible that asked for some kind of crazy things. Samson. Samson asked that God would give him the strength to knock an entire building over. How possible is that? One man, blind, because he had sinned and disobeyed God. Now, we know Samson was a mighty man. He's the strongest man that ever lived. I mean, he's so powerful, they're naming luggage after him. You know, good, strong luggage, they name it Samsonite. No joke. He was a, he was a bad dude. Strong to beat all, and he had dreadlocks, long dreadlock hair that had never ever been cut and and yet you know i mean he he was like many of us he kind of took for granted the blessing of god in his life didn't he if you don't know the story going to judges chapter i think 16 is where it starts and he's in there for a couple of chapters he's he's an interesting character because he was chosen by god before birth set apart to begin the deliverance of Israel. And yet he took for granted the blessings of God in his life, and, and so much so that he ended up giving away the secret to his power to a lady. I don't know if we can even call her a lady, to a, to a woman that supposedly loved him. I mean, this guy sinned, he blew it big. Not only was he hanging around with all sorts of wrong women, but he's telling stories he shouldn't be telling, and, and he paid the price. I mean, they came in, they shaved his head, he lost all of his strength, they poked his eyes out, and he started feeding the enemy instead of defeating the enemy. But it's interesting that while he's in the prison, the Bible says that his hair began to grow. And it's important for us to know that because the Bible doesn't just give us the obvious stuff. The Bible doesn't really talk about anybody else's hair beginning to grow. Why? Because hair growing is a natural thing for most of us. It slows down for some of us or just changes location. But it still happens. Is it frustrating to anybody else? You go to the barber and it takes longer to clean the hair out of your ears than it does to cut the hair on top of your head. I've noticed that. My ears, my nose takes longer than my head. I don't, I don't dare go in there without a shirt on. I'd be there all day. So, anyway, I digress. <laughs> Samson blew it. After defeating so many of the enemy, after being the strong hand and strong man in God's hand, the tool of effectiveness, he blew it big time. He lost all his strength. He lost his vision. He lost the respect of the people. He lost everything, but his hair began to grow, which the only reason the Bible tells us that is because it was supernatural growth. It denotes the fact that he had a repentant heart while he was there in that prison, while he was made nothing. He had a repentant heart. God, forgive me. And his hair began to grow. And they brought him out one day. They're having a big celebration, worshiping their god, Dagon. It was one of the, one of the uh, pagan deities that the Philistines worshiped. And they brought him out to entertain them. 
to be a court jester and was on his way out. He asked the little boy, lead him out there. He says, hey, just, just put my hands on the pillars. And as he's standing there, everybody's waiting for him to entertain them. He says, Lord, just one more time. Give me strength. And he brought the house down. Talk about entertaining. You missed it. Entertaining. He brought the house down. I'll let my brother do comedy. I'll do this. God strengthened him, though. I mean, he asked for the impossible. Lord, let me knock a building. And, he, and you know what the Bible says? That he destroyed more in his death than he did in his life. With that one last act of humble obedience, he destroyed more in his death than he ever did in his life. Elijah asked for fire from heaven to light up a waterlogged sacrifice. I mean, not just, not just sprinkled on, but you remember the... You remember the story. He had taken and built an altar, and he put the, the cow on it, the calf on it, and he told them to dump water on it and dump water on it again and dump water on it again. They kept dumping water on it until there was a, a trough around it, like a little moat around the, around the altar. And he asked God to light that thing up. And he did. He didn't dance around. He didn't prance around. He didn't spend 20 minutes praying. He just... Lord, light the fire. Licked up the sacrifice, licked up the stones, licked up the water. It was all done. Elisha, Elijah's uh, successor, Elisha asked the creator, he asked God to make an iron axe head float. Iron does not float. But Elisha asks that God would make iron float. And then he takes a stick and throws it in the water in the area where the iron axe head had landed. And what happened? That iron axe head floated to the top. These guys are asking the impossible. And God hears them. Think about Peter. He asked to, he asked to walk on water. Lord, if that's you, let me come out to you. Let me walk on water. The other 11 guys in the boat are smart enough not to ask that. Nobody walks on water. But Jesus and Peter, the guy that asked for the impossible. Moses asked that God would bring water from a rock, from a rock, to water 2 million people plus all their animals. the impossible and God did it let's pray Lord we need faith for the impossible Lord we need to we need to be just a little bit faith crazy and begin to ask you for the impossible Lord begin to trust, not just, not just ask for the silly things, not just be goofy about it, but Lord, to have faith that you are the God of the impossible. Lord, I pray this morning in the next few moments that you would guide my words. Lord, I pray that our faith would be challenged. Not only challenged, Lord, but encouraged. Lord, that we'd walk out of here different than we came in. Lord, walk out with a 
confidence. Lord, walk out with a boldness and a joy in seeing you do the impossible. We commit ourselves now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, those guys all asked for crazy things, and they all got them, but I think one of the craziest things is the one we're going to talk about today in Joshua chapter 10, what Joshua asked for. We're just going to read the first 15 verses, give you a little bit of background. Now, before Joshua chapter 10, of course, is Joshua chapter 9, and we need to know that because Joshua chapter 9 is a chapter in which Joshua really blew it. Now, we've been, we've been studying Joshua for the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about taking possession of the promise and what it takes for us to take possession. We, we, we learned the fact that God has a plan. He has a promise for us, but we need to take possession of it. That was number one. Number two, we learned we need to be strong and courageous. It's both and, not either or. And we need to not become discouraged. We need to not lose our courage after we get started because God knows what we're going to come up against. And he's already there. We learned in our third message that people think a lot of things, but they say a lot of other things. And we need to allow God to reveal the truth of the matter. Bullies are always trying to make themselves look bigger than they are. But the truth is revealed from the inside. Our fourth message, we talked about whose side are you on and encourage you, you need to get on God's side. Remember Joshua saw the, saw the angel with his sword drawn and said, hey, whose side are you on? Ours are our enemies? And he said, I'm neither. But I'm on the side of the Lord. And that's where we need to get. Stop worrying about who's on our side or theirs. Let's get on the Lord's side. We talk about the Aiken effect where one man in his disobedience caused the downfall of many in Israel. 36 lives, I think it was, that was lost. But we also talked about the fact that through that whole thing, God was trying to extend grace and mercy to Achan. Remember, it's big difference between confessing and being caught. Achan didn't confess, although moment after moment he had the opportunity. And then two weeks ago, we talked about keeping it fresh. The Sabbath principle, we've got to keep our relationship with the Lord fresh. Today we're going to talk about asking for the impossible. And like I said, chapter 9 is a, is a blight, a bad spot on Joshua's history. He had led them through victorious battles. He knew the word of the Lord not to make treaties with anybody. And the Gibeonites, came, who were neighbors, they came in and they acted like they were from long ways away. They wore old worn-out shoes. They had old crusty bread, they had bad food, and they brought it to Joshua and the, and the other uh, leaders in the camp. And they said, hey, we've heard about your fame from a long ways away. Our food was warm when we, when we took off. Our shoes were new. Everything was great. Look at how worn out we are. We've come a long way. And it says very clearly, Joshua didn't consult the Lord, but looked at their food, looked at their stuff, and said, all right, we'll make a treaty with you. Shortly after making the treaty, they find out that the Gibeonites live right next door, and they were one of the nations that God had told Joshua to destroy. But they had just committed to being allies. The people were furious with Joshua. They were furious with the elders because they hadn't consulted the Lord. 
And yet, because they made a vow, because they gave their word, they had to stick to that word, and they had to deal with it. Okay? David writes in one of the Psalms, who, Lord, who can, who can ascend your holy hill? Who can stand in your presence? And he answers that in the next verse by saying, he who keeps his vow even when it hurts. We need to be very careful about the things that we commit to because God expects us to keep our word even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. My son called me one day. He was going to college. He had to do an internship uh, for, his, for his major. He had to do an internship, and he had been looking at several different places, putting out resumes for an internship. And he, got, he finally got an opportunity with, uh, I think it was United Way. And it was, it was a fairly long internship, and it didn't pay anything. But he needed this internship. Now, now, he was married, had two babies. Two babies, working full-time, going to school full-time. Was he 19, 20 years old at the time? and has to take this, has to do an internship to get his degree. And so he had called me a couple times, I'd prayed with him and say, hey, you know, he decided to take this internship with United Way. A week later, he gets an email from another company that had an opportunity for a paid internship, one that paid well. And he calls me up and says, Dad, what do you think I should do? He said, I gotta take care of my family. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta survive. I gotta, you know, this one pays, this one doesn't. I said, Lincoln, what's the Bible say? I took him to that passage in Psalms. I said, the righteous man keeps his vow even when it hurts. So you gave your word, you committed. We talked and prayed a little bit more, and he said, okay, I'll do it. He was blessed beyond measure with United Way. He told me. After he got done, he had learned so much and more than he would have learned in another place. God blessed him. God took care of him. You know, we've got to be sure that we are keeping our word. When we give our word, God expects us to, to stick to it. All right, let's move on. So Joshua had made a mess of things. Joshua chapter 10 now, verse 1. Now, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and were living near them. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and its men were all good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Just a, a real quick rabbit trail right here. We ought not be surprised when the enemy attacks us because of our relationship with the Lord. Because, because we've come into relationship with the Lord, come into relationship with other believers, we ought not be surprised when the enemy doesn't like it, when our old friends don't like it and want to attack us. Back on track. Verse 5, five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites, now remember, these are the people that Joshua made, he made, a, he made an ally relationship with, which he shouldn't have. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, do not abandon your servants, come and 
Come to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. Can you imagine what's going through his mind, what's going through the minds of the, of the army of Israel and the people of Israel who are not happy at all because Joshua should not have made this relationship? They're probably thinking, good, let the Amorites destroy them. That's God's justice. We don't have to get involved. We can just stay out and let the other guys destroy them, and, and our hands are clean. But they had made a commitment. They kept their vow. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horn and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horn to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. That'd be an interesting battle. Verse 12, on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a man, surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. That might be the craziest thing anybody has ever asked for. You can ask for outrageous stuff, let, a, let an iron axe head float, let water come out of a rock, but come on, asking that the sun does not go down, that the sun stands still in the sky and the moon doesn't move at all until I've taken vengeance on my enemies. That's crazy. And yet, God heard him and answered his prayer. Now, I'm not suggesting that we get silly. We've got to understand some things. Even Jesus said some things are impossible. The only thing that Jesus actually said was impossible was salvation for man. It's impossible for man to save himself. But what's impossible for man is possible with God. I'm not suggesting that we start getting silly and asking God to, you know, give me uh, Spider-Man powers or, or allow me to fly around like Superman. Let's not be ridiculous and infantile or sophomoric in our thinking. But I do think we need to start asking and believing for some things that, that we've never thought of asking for before. We need to start stepping out in faith. If we want to take possession of the promise that God has for us, we've got to start putting some feet to our faith and saying, God, I'm going to ask for something even bigger, even bolder, maybe even crazier. But here's some guidelines. And even though Jesus said that, you know, so, excuse me, salvation was not possible for man, but only for God. Even though there's some things that are just ridiculous, I can tell you this, never once in Scripture, not one time, Genesis or Revelation, were we told not to ask. We've been encouraged 
from Genesis through Revelation to ask. Where two or three of you are gathered, ask anything in my name. Ask and receive. You do not have because you do not ask or encouraged to ask. And Joshua took the Lord at his word and asked for something crazy. But there's, there's some things, there's some guidelines here, just a couple of guidelines that I want you to be aware of before we start asking. Number one, Joshua knew who to ask. Joshua knew who to ask. He didn't ask Baal. He didn't ask Dagon. He didn't ask any of these pagan gods that were absolutely nothing. He didn't ask any, any golden calves that were set up anywhere. There was, there was shrines and idols all over the, the promised land because Israel was just coming. He didn't ask any of them. He didn't ask his generals. He didn't ask any, he didn't ask the people of Gibeon, what should we do? He went straight to the top and he asked the Lord. Verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord. And, and here's the other. He said it out loud. Did you catch that? He said to the Lord in the presence, in the hearing of all Israel. Lord, make the sun stand still. And don't let the moon move either. He knew who to ask. There's only one that can affect this for me. There's only one person that can touch the sun and make it stop. That's the one that created the sun and told it to shine. You know, we have a lot of needs in our lives. You know, Eric, Eric mentioned earlier as he was opening up the service that, that he's been challenged all month to pray first, worry later. You know, and, and, and we're blessed in this country with the technology that we have. We're blessed with, with medical technology. We're blessed with all sorts of stuff. And I, I have nothing against doctors and, and medicine and so forth. But shouldn't we first be going to the Lord before we go to a doctor. And I understand God will use doctors, and that's, that's phenomenal. That's fantastic. A doctor wrote two books out of the Bible, Luke and, and Acts. God loves doctors. God, God gave them the wisdom. But only God is the great physician. And he ought to be our first stop, not our last resort. Joshua knew who to ask. We need to know who to ask. Lord, I got a need. I've been praying for my, for my shoulder. Those of you, some of you know, some of you don't. I injured my shoulder a couple months back and uh, been going to physical therapy, been going to a doctor. In fact, I've got an appointment with a surgeon on Friday because they've told me it will not heal. It does not heal on its own. It's impossible. But you know who I'm asking? I'm asking the Lord. I'm trusting he's going to heal me. If he doesn't reach his hand down and miraculously touch me, then I'm going to let a doctor touch me. But before the doctor gets the chance, Lord, I got a need. 
touched his crazy shoulder. He knew who to ask. Number two, and this is very important, not only did he know who to ask and, and was crazy enough to ask, but he knew how to ask. He knew how to ask. He wasn't, he wasn't flippant. He wasn't necessarily scared. I'm not saying that he wasn't concerned going into battle, but you know, the Lord had already told him, don't worry about it, I got this. But he was asking for something crazy. He was asking for something impossible, and he knew how to ask. How are we supposed to ask? In faith, believing. He asked in faith. I already mentioned that he said this out loud in front of everybody. Well, that's got to be a that's got to be a show of faith right there. It's either faith or it's insanity. And judging from the rest of the story, I'm going to say it's faith. Looking at what I know about Joshua from reading this book and and the rest of the Bible, I'm going to say it's faith. He was just crazy enough to believe that God would. Not only that he could, but that he would. And here's the other thing that we know, other reason why we know that it was in faith is because he didn't stop and start looking at the sky and waiting. He didn't wait an hour to see if the sun moved and then decide, okay, now I'm going to go after the enemy. Think about this. He said, Lord, don't let the sun move, don't let the moon move. And he took off after the enemy. He left it in God's hands. Without waiting for an answer, he just believed God was going to do it, and I got something to do now, and that is pursue the enemy. I have to walk in faith, not just speak faith. I've got to act it and not just speak it. And the rest is up to God, isn't it? Even the Bible says if the, if the farmer's always looking at the sky, he's never going to plant. He'll never sow if he's always looking at the sky. Why? Because, you know, oh, well, it's too windy. Oh, it's too rainy. Oh, it's too sunny. Oh, it's... You know what? If you want to see a harvest, you've got to plant something. As you sow, so will you reap. Not as you think about. Well, I can think about all sorts of stuff, but if I don't do something about it, it ain't going to happen. So he asked in faith, and we know that he had faith because he was acting on it. He was running after the enemy the whole time. He said, hey, Lord, do this, and he took off. He walked in obedience, and he continued to do so. He didn't stop. He stayed busy, acting as if he had already had, as if he already had what he asked for. Can you imagine if we started acting as if we already had what we asked for? God, you told me to ask. I'm asking. Now I'm going. I'm doing. Boom. You know, most, most of us guys have, have acted in faith that way at one point or another. I, I'll be honest. I never would have asked Deb to marry me if I didn't think she would have said yes. I don't like rejection. So the first time I asked her out, I asked her if she was sure after she said yes. You sure? You really? Me? I want you to go out with me. I'm not asking you to go out. We've acted on faith at one time or another. Why not do it with God? Lord, I'm asking. I'm walking according to your will. I'm doing what you've asked me to do. I'm walking in obedience. 
There we go. Mark eleven twenty four. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it. Believe that you've received it. So it brings me to this, and I'm going to wrap up fairly soon. What's your excuse? What's your excuse for not asking for the impossible? Have you never been told you can do it? Are you afraid of not getting it? If you ask for the impossible and you don't get it, does that really hurt you? If I trust God to heal me and he doesn't heal me, does that hurt me? No, I wouldn't need healing if I wasn't already hurt, so it doesn't make me any worse, does it? If I pray for somebody and they don't receive healing, is that on me or is that on God? What is our excuse for not asking for the impossible? What is our excuse for not stepping up and living as if we've got it? Are we too tired? I hear people, oh, I'm just too tired. Too tired to go to church, too tired to do this. this, Joshua asked for this after an all-night hike. He had hiked all night, and the sun was starting to come up. You think you're tired. Joshua was tired. His entire army was tired. But he's bold enough to ask. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about putting on the full armor of God. Chapter 6 and verse 13, it says this, so that after you've done everything you can, then stand. We're not supposed to stand until we've done everything we can. We don't just stand around and wait. We put on the armor of God and we go to work. And then when we've done everything we can, then we can stand and, and wait for God to do what we can't do. But we've got to be doing our part. Maybe we don't feel worthy. I think this, one, I think this is one that, that bothers more people than anything else, but more than the too tired issue, we don't feel worthy. I'm not good enough. Why would God listen to me? I've failed time and time again. You know what the Bible says? The righteous man, though he falls seven times, he gets back up. Most people, after they fall one time, they don't feel righteous anymore. Even if they get back up, they get back up and they feel a little bit weaker. They fall a second time and they feel a little bit worse and they, they get back up and they're not sure if they even want to talk about faith anymore because I've failed twice, three times. The Bible says though a righteous man falls seven times. And, and you know the number seven in the Bible is a, is a symbol of completeness. If you've fallen so many times you think you were just completely, totally out of the game, the righteous will stand again. You don't feel worthy? Welcome to the club. But we're not saved on our worthiness. We're saved on the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He said you're righteous. You can stand. don't feel worthy. Joshua certainly didn't feel worthy. He had just blown it. We know that. He asked shortly after that failure, and God answered him. If we're not asking for the impossible, we're not expecting the impossible, and we're setting our sights too low. 
Bible tells us in Ephesians 3.20 that God is able to do more than we can ask or even imagine. So what do we need to do? We need to set our sights a little bit higher. I think we need to start, I think one of the things we need to start praying and asking God for, not only just a, a holy boldness, but, but Lord, give me, give me some creativity, give me some confidence to, to ask for even more. I mean, if you can do more than I can ask or even imagine, increase my imagination. And then give me the boldness to act and to ask. Anybody here want to spend your time being an underachiever? Anybody want to spend your time hanging out with underachievers? Underachievers, they don't get any plaques on them. Well, I guess, I guess nowadays with our politically correct society, we get participation ribbons. When I was a kid, there was first, second, and third place, and also rands. That was it. There's no glory for losing. And how about... How bad is that? So, a person loses. They learn to get up again, right? I love, someone was going around Facebook a while back, some professional football player took a trophy back. His son, his, his grade school age son, brought a trophy home from school for participating. He hadn't won anything, hadn't done anything. He participated in field day. And the football player took the trophy back to the school and said, my son will not accept a participation trophy. We don't give out trophies for showing up. You give out trophies for winning. And yet the world today, our society today, is patting us on the back for being underachievers. Hey, you woke up today. Good job. Woo, high five. Okay, you can't get it up high enough. We'll just, you know. God didn't create you to be an underachiever. He did not create you to, to, to just lay around and do absolutely nothing. He created us in his image, in his likeness, to make an impact in this world. And to ask and to act on things that don't even see, excuse me, seem possible. I don't think there's going to be any prizes in heaven for underachieving. I think there's a special place for the underachiever. The one that doesn't continue to walk by faith. The cowardly. It's the same place as the vile and the immoral and the violent. It's kind of sad to think, but God has called us to boldness, holy boldness and confidence confidence to ask confidence to act if we're not expecting the impossible what is our faith in and what is it for what keeps us from expecting or experiencing the impossible very simply not asking James says you don't have because you don't ask and sometimes when you ask you don't get because you just want to spend what you get on yourself you just want to Bless yourself, and God's bigger than that. But never once did he tell us not to ask. And so in closing this morning, I asked you if you want to participate. Did everybody get little impossible prayer paper when you came in? I want everybody to have one. I did not get one. I don't know how I didn't get one. How did I get one?
Is there any extras around here? An extra. Now, don't give me yours. Everybody actually needs to have two. Thank you, sir. There's two on each sheet. The reason we're going to have two... The reason we're going to have two is you're going you're gonna to write the same thing on both pieces. You're going to tear it in half so you'll have two pieces. You're going to write the same thing. And one you're going to take home, and I want you to pin it on the refrigerator door if that's where you're at most often, or pin it on the tape it on the mirror of the bathroom if that's where you're at most often. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it. And maybe it's the door. Every time you walk out and walk in, whatever, you're going to see it. The other one, we're going to place it up here on the altar. We're going to get a, a, a bulletin board back in this prayer room here. We're going to pin all these up. And our prayer team comes in each week, is going to be praying over those. And I invite you to join them. There's plenty of room for more people to come in and pray. Is it 10 o'clock? 10 o'clock? 10 o'clock on Mondays, typically. More than enough room. And you know what? If you crowd this out, we'll move you to the gym if you can get that many people to come and pray. What I want you to write on here is, is very simply two things. One is your impossible prayer. That can be a situation for you. It can be a situation for the church. I can, think of a, I can think of a few. I'd like to see 50 new regular... I'm not talking about people transferring from another church. I'm, I'm talking about people that are getting saved off the street because we as a church go out and win the loss. But 50 new regular faces by the end of this year, two months. Impossible by man's standards, but God can do it. I want to see God heal my shoulder. I don't really want surgery. Impossible by man's standards. That's, that's one, your impossible prayer. The other thing I'd like you to put down is your name. Your name. Not to embarrass you, to embolden you, to embolden others. You know, I'm just I'm going to be real honest with you, and, I, and I'm guilty of of doing this too. I think one of the I don't know I don't know how to say this without sounding mean, but take it in the spirit that it's meant. I think one of the the weakest or the most disturbing or the most frustrating prayer requests that I ever hear, and I've done it myself, I've got an unspoken prayer request. And, and I'll tell you why that frustrates me and why I believe that it frustrates God. It's because, number one, I'm afraid to speak it out because I'm afraid what other people are going to think, which tells me that I don't have a real good trust for my brothers and sisters in Christ, that I'm afraid that they're going to laugh at me, they're going to think less of me, they're going to whatever. And if that's the way the body is acting, then there's something wrong. If I can't take my hurts, my frustrations, my needs to those that I'm going to be spending eternity with and trust that they are going to pray with me, and for me, and not judge me, and not laugh at me, and not post it on Facebook, and not take out a page ad in the paper, then there's something wrong. 
And I just, I got to remind you, Joshua asked for something crazy and he did it in front of the entire army. God, I believe enough that this is what I'm asking for and I'll sign my name to it. Now, I don't want you to put your name down because you feel guilty because I, I just said that. And I, again, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna beat you up over it. But I really believe that it's an area where we need to and can grow in our faith. Say, I have this need. Please pray with me, believe with me. And how cool will it be when we begin to check off each of these prayer requests week after week as God begins to meet them. Amen. For more information, you can find us online at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.net.